Oh God, what they just sang, we confess it is true. We acknowledge it. Our spirits do. That we never realized a baby born one blessed night gave us the greatest gift of our lives. We were the reason that He gave His life. We were the reason that He suffered and died to a world that was lost. Oh God, hallelujah. He gave all that He could to show us the reason to live. So Father, having heard that, here's the question. How then should we live? Teach us. Dear God, on this final Sabbath of this semester, teach us in Your Word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The editors of the newspaper obviously knew this week that the headline would catch our eyes. Those of us living in this neck of the Michigan woods, that is. Let me put the headline on the screen for you. There it is. Large cat on the loose in Berrien County. Turns out, as I read the article, two weeks ago today, when a thunderstorm came booming through here, an unknown creature came out of the wet woods and attacked a horse in Watervliet. The horse was so severely mauled, in fact, that it had to be euthanized. Pictures of the mauled horse indicate, however, and I haven't seen them, but indicate that it was not a coyote attack. We have coyotes around here. They finally determined that, in fact, it was a cat, a big cat, a lion, or to be more precise, a mountain lion. Hence the headline, Large Cat on the Loose in Berrien County. Now, have you ever seen a mountain lion? Let me put a picture. This isn't the actual one, but that's what a cougar or a mountain lion looks like. And so I'm reading this article, and here is an take a look at that cat. Here's an intriguing fact about a cougar. It can accelerate from a sitting position to 40 miles an hour in 50 feet. Zero to 40 in 50 feet. Now, the good news is that the cougar's diet is white-tailed deer, not humans. Hallelujah. The bad news is that the cougar has a brain the size of a tennis ball, which means you may look like a white-tailed deer when he's hungry. So... You don't know. <laughs> but don't be worried. Authorities tell us that in 200 years, there has never been a cougar attack on a human east of the Mississippi. Now, those of you watching from west of the Mississippi, you're in our prayers. All right. There's the headline. Large cat on the loose in Berrien County. Actually, ladies and gentlemen, you and I already knew that that headline was true long before the Tribune came out with it. Didn't we? Open your Bible, please, to a little book in the New Testament called Peter. First Peter. You didn't bring your Bible, then there is a Bible in the pew rack right in front of you. Grab it, please. First Peter. And if you grab the pew rack Bible, let me just give you the heads up. Page number is 817. Now, I'm going to be in the New International Version. Whatever translation you have is fine with me. I want to read just one line from First Peter chapter 5. All right? First Peter chapter 5, and it's verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I'm reading in the NIV. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So that the headline could really read, Large Cat on the Loose in Berrien County and Andrews University and wherever it is you and I live. 
Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I regret to inform you this morning, there have now been documented lion attacks not only west of the Mississippi, but also east of the Mississippi. Just this week, in fact, too numerous to count, including the likes of you and me, from this very same roaring lion. Documented attacks. Got the mall marks to prove it. So today our teaching is entitled Baby and Beast and Book. Because this is the season where with our hearts and even with our minds we contemplate this baby there in the midst of the beast. I thought maybe we would talk about the beast, you and I. Reflect on the beast first and then we'll end with a baby. Large cat on the loose. Wouldn't you know it? That's the headline of the Christmas story. Don't believe me? Go to the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 2. Let's go to the Christmas story together. Matthew, chapter 2. Take a look at this headline. Matthew, chapter 2. Oh, you know the story. The wise men have been to Jerusalem. They say, hey, hey, we, we hear that there's, there's a king that's been born and Herod gets wind of it. He calls them in. Really? There's been a king? Yep, we're here to worship him. And crafty, wily king that Herod is says, Hey, when you find that baby, come back and tell me because I want to worship him too. Please, I want to join you. The wise men leave. They find a baby in Bethlehem. Angel warns them in a dream, Get out of here. Don't go by Jerusalem. They don't. And now the story here in verse 16, Matthew 2, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Verse 17, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Verse 18, a voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Do you understand how many funerals were performed in Bethlehem just because of the Christmas story? That undertaker was lined up for days bearing babies. You say, well, come on, that's what you get when you have a temperamentally volatile, insanely jealous and insecure king. Nope, that is not what you get. That's what you get when you have a large cat on the loose. A roaring lion in the apocalypse, described as an otherworldly beast. I want you to take a look at Revelation's matching story. Matching story. Pastor Pat read it just a moment ago. I want to go back to Revelation, the apocalypse. Bible's last book. Go to chapter 12. Take a look at this. This is the parallel account to Matthew at the very end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 12. Pick it up, please. In verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant. You got the picture now. And cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. And his tail, verse 4, swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Who is this wily old dragon? 
Verse 9 won't leave us in the dark, so just drop down for a moment to verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And once the angels get here, once his angels get here, they are called demons from henceforth. All right? They all had a home address, New Jerusalem, once upon a time. Their home address today is terrestrial ball earth. They have nowhere else they can go. All right? So, that's what's happening here in verse 4. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung, to the, flung them to the earth. And then, ah, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That's messianic, that's Messiah language from the Old Testament. She gives birth to the Messiah, and just as the dragon is ready to consume him, but her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Rats! I missed him. Roaring lion, reddish dragon, same beast that rakes his claws over every earth child. He can hunt down and maul, and we've all been hunted down. Just so, show up, take. Pull your, pull your jacket aside. Let me see those maul marks on you. Huh? We all got them. Beneath our finely manicured Sabbath best. fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, the Christmas story is still the story of a large cat on the loose. And we're all players now in the story that was first of Christmas. Large cat on the loose, only now he's no pussycat. New, a devouring dragon, seeking whom he might consume. Who, as we learned last Sabbath, we learned it. He is able to transform himself into an appealing, attractive, regal angel of light. Which is why, let's, let's just be heart to heart now, all right? Which is why I am nonplussed that anyone would want to play the devil's advocate. I mean, we use that expression, don't we? Come on, you're, you're, you're making a point to me. And I say, hey, wait a minute, time, time out, time out. Let me play the devil's advocate with you. What does it mean to play the devil's advocate? It means I'm going to take the opposite position and score a few points into the chinks in your logic to play the devil's advocate. But quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, the devil has more than enough advocates to go around these days. Have you noticed? So why would you and I want to be a devil's advocate as well? Let me just for a moment, if I may please, return to what we shared last Sabbath. Just for a moment. And I preached on something last Sabbath. I don't remember what it was, but I preached on something here. Actually, I do remember what it was because you've been reminding me all this week. All right? If, if, if you were not here last Sabbath, I, I would urge you, please, there's nothing in this for me. I, I wish you would go to our website. Let me put it on the screen for you. www.pmchurch.tv That's our website. Click on to this series. This is the last in the series. Hit in my heart. And then, <clears throat> pardon me. And then find the teaching called Storm Brewing. Click on to Storm Brewing. Maybe it'll get you to thinking and talking as well. We need to be thinking. We need to be talking. Anyway, I, I, I brought up a guy named Harry Potter last week. All right? Harry Potter. You've heard of him. I'm still trying to figure out why some are still, still trying to assert 
that Harry Potter and his wizard friends and foes are nothing more than innocuous children's literature that is worthy of young adult reflection and adult study. I don't understand it. Now, look, let me, let me share something with you. And I'll, I'll put it on the screen. What may be surprising to those of you that have read all the books, how many books have come out? Anybody know? There are going to be seven in the total or something like that. And the four movies. So you've read the books and you've seen all four movies. Most of those who read Harry Potter and view Harry Potter do so uncritically. And so this may come as a surprise to you that Harry Potter is in fact replete with spirit communication. A book that just came out this year written by Richard Abinus, 2005, titled the book Harry Potter, Narnia and the Lord of the Rings. What you need to know about fantasy books and movies. Can I, can I hit the pause button right here? Let me hit the pause button right here. Because you know what you're wanting to ask me? You're going to ask me this. Pastor, did you read the Harry Potter books? No. I think in a bookstore I probably opened it up and kind of went like, what's, so, what's, what's all this excitement about? Pastor, tell me now. Tell me. Did you see the four Harry Potter movies? I haven't seen one of them. I've seen some clips. And I was flying on a plane once and was up on the screen in the plane. I didn't listen to it, but I saw enough of all that levitation and all to kind of get the gist of it. Oh, come on, then how can you critique what you have not experienced? Read my lips. Read my lips. I have never slept with a prostitute. But every time I'm with a group of young men and we can be man to man, I am absolutely unabashedly unashamed to be in their faces and say, don't you ever sleep with a prostitute in your life. You don't have to experience that which you critique and warn about. Or if that were true, then the Lord Jesus was a miserable failure. Didn't experience one of the sins that he thundered about the closer he got to the edge of his life. So, don't ask me that one again. <laughs> several of you have come to me, several of you have come to me and asked, what about Narnia? Okay, fair enough. Listen, 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 listen carefully now. C.S. Lewis's books have influenced millions on this planet for God and good. I have most of his books in my library. I have the Chronicles of Narnia in my library. I have read The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. All right? It is an allegory of salvation. My genuine concern... Now, hear me out. We're just heart to heart now. My genuine concern is twofold. Number one... I'm concerned about the uncoincidental releasing of Potter and Narnia three weeks apart. Because I know the American public, when it comes to entertainment, I'm sorry, but the American public is uncritical in its thinking. It just sucks it up, whatever it is. I'm concerned for the American public that they will conclude, hey, hey, look, 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 you got wizards and witches and... Talking lions and flying children? It's got to all be good. It's got to be good. 
and thus open the door even wider to the occult and the relentless deceiver who can appear as an all-good angel of light. C.S. Lewis, get this down, never advocates the occult. Ever, ever, ever. Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling are unabashed in their advocacy. There's a world of difference. But my second concern is this. You are, you are what you eat. Okay? Could it be that a diet high in fantasy and fiction, whether you read it or view it, could it be a diet high in fantasy and fiction, and fiction suppresses a hunger for the Word of God? Huh? Could it be? Hold the applause. In fact, I've got to deal with you. You bring me. You bring me just one person who in all his leisure time, in all her spare hours, she's either reading or viewing fantasy and fiction. You bring me just one person like that. I'm going to give you $1,000. No, I'm not going to give you $1,000. I got my friend Ferdy Weber here, and Ferdy's going to give you $1,000. All right? Is that okay, Ferdy? I'm going to give you, from Ferdy, $1,000 if... That same person that you find for me on a high-octane fantasy and fiction diet also has a hunger for the Word of God. You find that human being for me, bring her, bring him to me, and you got $1,000 on the barrelhead. You know why I'm so confident to volunteer Ferdy's money? Because you won't be able to find him. Hands down. Can't. I was out running this last week and bumped into a college girl here. I don't know who she is, and I guess she knew it was me. And we stopped for a moment, and this was after last Sabbath's presentation, and she says, you know what, Pastor, you're absolutely right. My boyfriend and I were down at Barnes & Noble on Thursday night. She said, you cannot believe the shelf after shelf after shelf of fantasy and fiction targeting teenagers, young adults, and adults who have nothing else to do. Shelf after shelf. It makes me wonder, could it be that fantasy and fiction, taken in its overdose forms as most of the American public takes it, is designed to be a suppressant for the appetite of the Word of God? Let me show you a headline. Large cat on the loose. Think. Think. Okay. So here's this quote I wanted to share with you. Richard Avenis, in his 2005 book, Harry Potter, Narnia, and the Lord of the Rings, What You Need to Know About Fantasy Books and Movies. Here comes a quote. I'll put it on the screen for you. Harry and his friends are in constant communication with the spirits. Those of you that have read the books, tell me, is this not true? These include Binns, a Hogswart teacher, Peeves, a poltergeist or a malevolent or evil spirit, Moaning Myrtle, a murdered Hogswart student, and Nearly Headless Nick, Gryffindor's resident apparition. Each student dorm, in fact, has its own house ghost. And in Prisoner of Azkaban, Dumbledore uses these and countless other ghosts to send messages to the students. Don't you come and tell me that that literature and those portrayals are not straight out of the occult and witchcraft. I know what some of you are thinking. 
Oh, but come on, Dwight, you want to talk about great literature? What about Charles Dickens and the Christmas Carol? Aren't there three ghosts that show up in that story? And how, who here hasn't read that and enjoyed that? Ah, that happens to be the devil's advocate's favorite whipping boy to support their support of spiritualism in Harry Potter. Let me give you three reasons. I also am indebted to Abinus for these three. Just jot these down in your mind. No study guide today. Number one, Scrooge. Remember Ebenezer Scrooge? Scrooge does not seek out or maintain any relationships with, nor does he regularly commune with the ghost in this story. True or false? True. Number two, and this was the clincher for me. The three Christmas spirits that visit Scrooge are not even spirits of the dead. They're symbols. They're representations, manifestations of what you get every single Christmas. The past Christmas, the present Christmas, and the future Christmas. And number three, at the end of the Charles Dickens classic, at the end of the Christmas carol, one is left with the hinted at possibility that Scrooge's vision was just a nightmare, like Marley's apparition, in which Scrooge mumbled, you remember these words? Resulting from, as he put it, an undigested bit of beef, beef, a blot of mustard, a cream, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. Don't you, don't you use Dickens to support Potter. The evidence, ladies and gentlemen, is preponderant. Harry Potter represents a story form of real-world occultism and spiritualism, what the Bible describes as demonism, sorcery, and witchcraft, all of which God forbids with the strongest human language that it is capable of using. To be used. Which is why the question begs itself once again, why would any of us want to be the devil's advocate? He doesn't need any more advocates. He needs opposition. I tell you what, guys. I want to talk to the young adults just for a moment. Young adults, he needs opposition. And you're it. Listen, just stand up and speak, will you? Just say something. Don't just stand there. Say something. I'm going to be misunderstood right now, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. The GYC, the Greater Youth Conference, that is sweeping America. 3,000 kids now showing up in Chattanooga over the holidays. My hat is off to those young adults. I don't agree with some of the philosophy that some of the founders have, but I'm not worried about the adults. I'm proud of a generation of young adults that now is beginning to speak up and be counted. You can speak up. You can be a part of the opposition. Large cat on the loose. But you see, that's it. In the academic world in which we all live, the color that gets championed is not black or white, but gray. It's very hard to oppose gray. And that, in fact, is the attraction of gray. It never has to be opposed. Because what is gray? It's a reduction of black and white into a non-offensive neutrality that is neither black nor white. And who can find fault with safe gray? Which is another word for that strange oxymoron called open-minded tolerance, which is a euphemism for closed-minded intolerance since anything that challenges gray is automatically rejected. Don't you talk to me about open-minded tolerance. You won't tolerate somebody challenging you. No open-mindedness at all. You're defending gray. 
What's black to you may be white to me. What's black to me may be white to you. And because that's so, we're all better off just calling everything gray. Then nobody is offended and no opinion is rejected. Just a safe, gray, neutral tolerance of all beliefs and most behaviors. Which is why in American academia, sexual deviancy and Satanism are to be tolerated as expressions of our culture. Listen to this psychiatrist. Boy, is he right on. Psychiatrist Paul C. Witz in his book, Psychology is Religion, The Cult of Self-Worship. On the screen for you. The heterogeneity, that means the diversity of American culture, with its increasingly complex mosaic of different religions and cultures, is a social structural analog or parallel to the intellectual world of new age. Just as the act of rejecting a person because of his or her beliefs, that's considered antisocial or undemocratic, so also to reject religious or spiritual understandings is interpreted in the same way. One more sentence now. When tolerance is the primary accepted social virtue, commitment to a particular faith is viewed as fundamentally antisocial and even threatening. Wow. He nailed it. He nailed it. Which is why even in an Adventist Christian university... It is sometimes easier to defend the gray rather than be confronted by the black or the white. But we need a generation that's willing to stand up and be counted. You see, when everything is gray, that way we can all turn a blind eye. Pastors and administrators and faculty... And students, we can all turn a blind eye to class requirements and social entertainment and moral or immoral behavior. I didn't see anything. Didn't know that. It's all gray. And besides, how can we be sure? And what right do I have to impose my values on you or your values on me? I want you to see this headline. Large cat on the loose. A cat, by the way, who thrives in living in the shadows of gray. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But truth be known, and this, hallelujah, is our salvation. There is an even larger cat on the loose today, what do you say? And that is, has to be the greatest headline of Christmas of all. Because you see, the Bible describes two lions, and the first lion is the greater lion. And who is that first lion? C.S. Lewis nailed the metaphor correctly. Revelation, one more time. Revelation chapter 5. I want you to meet the other lion. Enough of this wimpy, roaring, mauling, clawing enemy who needs no advocates in you or me. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Meet the other lion. John is crying. John is crying because the future looks like it's locked. There's no way to see how we can get ahead. There's no way to see that God's people are going to be delivered. It looks very bleak and he's weeping. And notice what happens in verse 5. One of the elders comes to him and says, John boy, do not weep. See, 
The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he's able to open the scroll and those seals. He can take, dry those tears, boy. He can take us into that future with the roar of his power. And so John is so excited. He can hardly wait to see this muscular, mighty lion. And he whirls around and his chin hits the floor in heaven. Because what does he see in verse 6? Then I saw, I saw a lamb. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. He was looking for a lion, but all he could see was a lamb. Because you know what? That's the glorious truth of this season. The lamb-like baby born in a manger is the lion-like conqueror on the cross of Calvary, slain as Aslan was for the sins of all earth children so that we would have eyes to know the difference between black and white so that we would no longer be captives in the shadows of a world of gray who died to turn gray back into black and white. Which is very good news for all of us who've been raked. I got my scars too. I won't tell you when I got this one, but I got my scars. I don't know where his hook has a claw hold in your life right now. I know where he hooks me. But the good news of this season of the year is that a big, big, bigger cat is on the loose. And when Aslan roars... The whole earth trembles. And you cry out to Him, boy, girl, you cry out to Him, you call His name, and in a bound, that lion is beside you. Oh, my. And you can trust me on this one. When the lion of the tribe of Judah comes in, you'll be safe and saved forever. Forever. Ever. I had a young co-ed from Andrews University just this week saying, Oh, Pastor, it's, it's too late. I've done the whole Harry Potter thing. What do I do now? Let me tell you what I told her. Here's what I said. I said, Girl, okay, just don't go back into that house. It's haunted. There is a killer cat waiting for you there. What's the alternative? Do this. Throw open the the door to your heart. Throw open the door to your mind. Throw open the door to your spirit. Throw open the door to your life. And you ask the lion of the tribe of Judah to come in. And he'll come in. Trust me. He will come in. So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Two lions. One choice. This Christmas, be sure you choose the right lion.